Hello and welcome to this podcast, Yes, I Have a Voice. My name is Ruth Lewis-Cost and I'm a caregiver and I am blessed to be looking after my elderly parents. I started this podcast to remind ourselves that looking after those in need is a privilege. As unpaid caregivers, we need to have a voice. We need to be able to shout loud and be proud of our status. And caregiving has no age. People of all ages are caregivers. This is my way of supporting you all emotionally and practically with tools from other caregivers on how to find the joy in your situation and make amazing memories. So let's dive into this week's episode. Now today my guest is Mary Daniels and Mary is in Jacksonville, Florida and she has a story regarding her husband. So we are going to find out about that story, how she's dealt with it and where she is now. So Mary, do tell us first of all the story about your husband. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I love sharing um, my story about Steve Um, Steve and I have been married 25 years. He is 68 years old and was diagnosed at the age of 59 with Alzheimer's. I placed him in long-term care in a memory care center here in Jacksonville uh, about two and a half years ago, and he thrived. He was a salesman by um, trade and was very, very social, loved being around people, um, made friends everywhere he went. And I realized um, as I was caring for him, I thought keeping him at home was the right thing to do, was the best level, level of care that I could provide. But I soon realized that I was really isolating him from people, that he stayed in the house all day long, watching television all day long. And for somebody as social as Steve, that was just not as fulfilling as it needed to be for him. So I made the most difficult decision that I've ever made and placed him in a memory care center. He loved it. He loved being around all of the people. He had a desk, a seat at the desk at the front door, had his own name badge like the other employees and literally greeted everybody that walked in from the UPS delivery man to uh, all of the medical professionals to all the family members. He gave everybody a hug and everybody knew who Steve was. So I would go and see him in the evenings. I'm still working and I would get him ready for bed. We would watch the same television shows that we've always watched as I used to prepare dinner um, in the evenings for us. And it was very much a, a, a very soothing and calming routine. It was a great way for both of us to end the day. I did that on March the 11th. And on March the 12th, they called me and told me, you can't come back. We're locking down. So I immediately called the corporate office and said, this is not going to work for me. I have to get in to see him. And they said, let's just wait and see what happens. I think we were in that 14 day to slow the curve thing, you know, uh, way back when nobody knew exactly what we were getting ourselves into. But the days turned to weeks and the weeks turned to months. And I started getting vocal about the need to get to him. He did not understand um, the iPad, you know, these FaceTime calls. He is verbal. He can speak, but I can't understand anything that he says. So having a conversation with him on the phone or through FaceTime was useless. Um, He just didn't understand why I wasn't there. We did two window visits. He cried the entire time um, at both window visits. And I decided that it would just be better 
if I didn't do that at all. So um, I got the attention of a local news reporter who started doing stories on the isolation. And after a couple months, um, the corporate office called me and they told me we have a part-time job if you'd like it. I said, I'll take it. And then I said, what is it? And they said, it's a dishwasher. So on July the 3rd, I started my first shift as a dishwasher. Um, After 114 days when my shift was over, I went in and I walked into Steve's room And my biggest concern was that, and and what I was fighting for is that he knows me. He knew me then. He knew my name. He knew who I was. And I was afraid that I was going to miss that window of opportunity that, you know, I I said many times, what are we saving him for exactly? Um, So that he's going to, next time I see him, he's going to be incontinent. He's not going to know me. Um, I need to see him now. Now is his best day. Tomorrow he will decline and the day after he will decline. But when I walked in the room on that day and his back was to me when I walked in the door and when he turned around, the first word out of his mouth was Mary. That's so lovely. Can I just clarify, of course, you are talking about 2020 in the lockdown. Correct. Yes. Yes. So this was a year ago. And and yes. uh, So so after 114 days, yes, I was able to see him for the first time. That's just wonderful. I just would like to backtrack a little bit because. Mary, where were you in your life um, when your husband was diagnosed? You were working, but what were you doing? What were your thoughts? I I am a patient advocate by trade. Um, When he was actually diagnosed, we were, I have managed medical practices my whole career. So I'm very, very familiar with the world of medicine here, our, our healthcare system. And that has been a big benefit to me. When I realized that um, when Steve had to retire, he was a salesman with Florida's Natural Orange Juice. He's traveled a great deal. And we started noticing he was he was confusing his schedule. He was confusing orders. Logistically, it was becoming very difficult for him. And so his neurologist recommended that he retire and go on long-term disability. He was fine for a little while, um, a year or so by himself. And then I realized I I needed to get home. So I started my own company as a patient advocate. I'm actually a board certified patient advocate. And I started a company that helps people. We specialize in advocating for medical billing. So people who have issues with their medical bills, whether they're um, large bills that need to be negotiated or ongoing bills that need to be managed, I started doing that out of my home so that I could be with him. And that advocacy um, and the knowledge that I have about the healthcare system has helped me a lot in this journey to be able to stand up to some of the powers that be and say, this doesn't make sense. We can, I, I said to the governor of Florida there, I mean, very simply, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. That's so good because most of us have no idea. We wouldn't know where to begin to even speak out. And then we also wouldn't know what we can speak out about exactly. We might look at our own family member and understand what we want for them. But further than that, we wouldn't really, I don't think most of us would actually know what to even ask and who to ask it of either. Exactly. And that has been a huge benefit to me that I do know who to ask. And I do know who to go to. And, and I do know how to talk to my politicians, you know, my local politicians, my state politicians, those kinds of things. And I learned as an advocate, certainly dealing with medical billing, you don't have to take no for an answer. You can, you know, it, and, and people, I had somebody ask me yesterday, you know, how do you get the strength to, to keep fighting? And 
I know that I'm right about this issue. I know that my husband needs me. I know that that these residents need their families. I know with great confidence that what we're doing and what we're fighting for is the right thing. And that gives you, when you have that knowledge and you back that up with some education, it gives you confidence to not take no for an answer and keep fighting until you get people to agree with you. That's so good. And I love that. Um, Now, obviously, you were on your own to look after him for, for several years. How did you manage that while still working? And what about your mental state around all this? You know, it, it has been, um, it's been quite the journey. It, it's, it's, it's always been one day at a time. It's always been, we're going to handle what's in front of us today. And um, I'll deal with what's in front of us tomorrow, tomorrow. And that has been, um, that's been a real blessing. I am, I am very fortunate that we have family here Uh, I have a sister who's a nurse, her husband's a physician. I have a niece who's a nurse practitioner. All of that family has been able to help, not only with hands-on care when I needed it, but with advice, again, as that backup of, yes, this is the right thing. Yes, what you're saying makes sense. Yes, there's reasons for, um, medical reasons for what you're trying to do. So all of that support system has been incredibly important. That's brilliant. That's what you need, isn't it? But in terms of you, your own mental state over this, you, it couldn't have been a breeze. You, I'm sure even you didn't really come to it and think, oh, it's fine. As you said, you took every day as it came. But there must have been some days where you were in despair and other days where you were much more upbeat. And that's part of this road. I mean, I do. I tell people, first off, I'm a huge believer in support groups. I have been a member of, of a support group from the very beginning. It's been incredibly helpful because there are people that are behind me and there are people who are ahead of me in this journey. So we can all talk about, I get assistance from the people who have already gone through what I'm going through, and I'm able to help those people that are behind me and tell them how I was able to get through that. And having those people who have an understanding of what this is really like, the ups and downs, as you just described them, the highs and the lows, having someone who can understand the need to cry. I, I actually, I've been, I've, I've gotten an old fashioned cold recently and I went to see my doctor. It's kind of just physically worn me out. Um, so earlier in the week, I went to the doctor and she said to me, and she used to be Steve's doctor and has followed this journey with us. And she said to me, how are you? I mean, one of those, no, really like, how are you? And I started crying and I embrace that. I embrace those days when I need to cry because I know that they're there for a reason. And I know that that's that's sort of how, you know, this works. There is grief involved in this process. There's grief of losing the life we planned, of losing our financials, you know, a plan, our retirement plan. Um, We are experiencing some great things with our grandchildren right now that he is completely missing We have a grandson who's a very good football player who's going to be playing football in college. He's a senior in high school, and I'm going to go to his game next week in Nashville, and Steve's not going to be with me. There is a grief in that for all of us, for all of our family. So embracing that grief, embracing the, the emotions that come with this, because there are the good days. I was with him a couple nights ago, and the television cable was out. And I turned on, I just found some YouTube videos of one was Carrie Underwood singing How Great Thou Art. And he sang every word of it. And that was, I mean, I literally closed my eyes and I thought to myself, 
Don't ever forget this moment. Don't ever forget this moment because those are moments that are such highs that they're wonderful balance to the lows and make me know that this is a, a journey that has value to me and to him. And if he can find joy in those moments, then I need to relish that joy too. So I try to manage all of those ups and downs and they all seem to balance out uh, with the help of family and friends. I love that. And I definitely agree with you that it's all a journey and designed to teach us and help us. And we were talking just before um, this interview about um, my situation with my mother and how I was feeling about it. And I was saying how my mother has given up on life at a different time in her life. She's in her, she's now 90 and um, she's taken to her bed and given up on life with mild dementia. And you were talking about the need for everybody, including people who are suffering Alzheimer's or whatever they are suffering. They need hugs. And I was saying that I don't really give my mother hugs because I've I've literally I've done everything I can for her that I can think of. And nothing has improved her her sort of desire to want to get out of bed and live life again. And that's made me feel like I just want to turn my back and walk away. But actually, just by you talking about those hugs, it's made me want to kind of perhaps turn around without any conversation and just give her a few hugs. Right. It will have value to both of you, right? In in maybe very different ways. It will be, I think you will find joy in those moments um, when you may not think it at at this moment. When you get there, I think it will be all very much worthwhile. Thank you. And I thank you for that. So, Moving on, obviously, out of all of this, as so often is the case, something good has come about and you have started so many great things that are going to go on almost as a legacy for Steve, your husband, and I love it. So, you know, explain what those are. When I started the job um, as the dishwasher in the facility, Literally within days, I realized I was hearing from people um, all over the United States and, and realizing that there were hundreds of thousands of people in the same situation. So I started a Facebook group called Caregivers for Compromise because isolation kills too. We have a national group that has 14,000 members. And then I realized that the laws are different in every state. So we really needed a group for every state. So I started one for every single state. And those groups individually have leaders that have risen to the top that are heading the movement in their particular state, um, whatever the laws are, or whatever the guidelines that were being followed in their state. They've been working individually like I have been in Florida. The governor of Florida saw the story that went viral. The dishwashing story went viral and he appointed me to his task force to reopen long term care facilities. Um, and we as a group, I was the only lay person on that group, but we as a group um, established an essential caregiver designation that allows us to go in following the same guidelines as the staff. So I went in on July the 3rd. He opened it up for the rest of the state of Florida on September the 1st. And because my argument to him and, and to the task force was, Why am I allowed to touch him as a dishwasher, but I'm not allowed to touch him as his wife? That just doesn't make sense. And thankfully, they listened to that. And so on September 1st, Florida residents, Florida essential caregivers were allowed to go in. And we had zero uptick in cases 
brought in by family members. So we did it safely. We did it very smartly so that we were not endangering anyone. And now we're growing on that movement. Now we have established, um, um, it's HR 3733, a federal essential caregiver bill that has been introduced um, into Congress this past summer. Um, our, unfortunately, our politicians are a little distracted right now and are not getting it the attention it needs, but we are not going away. We are working very hard to get co-sponsors. It is a bipartisan bill. There is nothing political about this whatsoever. And so um, we're wanting a, a federal legislation that says two visitors can go in in the case of any emergency shutdown again, because what we're afraid of is next year it's going to be a flu outbreak or whatever the next thing is going to be. And Good they're point. going to think that they can keep shutting us out when isolation kills too. We know why this was done. We know it was done with the right intention. We know that COVID kills, but isolation kills too. And we can follow the same guidelines as the staff and we can be safe just like the staff. And they need us. It's certainly in the days of shortage staff shortages where there is not enough staff to take care of these residents sufficiently, we are there to help. When I go in to see Steve, they can cross him off their list for the day. I'm with him until he is sound asleep. So they don't have to worry about getting him ready for bed. They don't have to worry about being sure that he's taken care of. I do that for them. So I'm there to help um, in, in taking care of my husband. So I'm a benefit. I'm, I'm not a liability to them. I am a benefit. So we have, we have national legislation we're working on. We also are working in our individual states. I am, have introduced with my legislators a bill in Florida um, that allows that same essential caregiver designation. The federal bill only covers federally funded facilities, Medicare and Medicaid. My husband's facility is not one of those. So we need a Florida law that covers all the facilities so that whoever falls through the cracks is going to be picked up and have that essential caregiver designation too. Our goal is to be certain this never, ever happens again. We can never let this happen again. That's just so amazing. It really, really is. And are you working internationally at all? Because I'm in the UK and obviously there were, you know, so many times when it was in the beginning of the of the pandemic, of course, nobody was allowed in at all. I think now they are being allowed in, but it's very limited access even so. And they're very, very cautious, whether it's um, in an actual facility like a care home, as we call them here, or even in hospital. Are you working to get things done internationally as well? I, I am not, honestly. I've been contacted by a few people from around the world. The story did go around the world, and so a lot of people have seen it. I am very, very open to helping anybody do that. There is no reason that there can't be a Caregivers for Compromise page you know, in other countries. And then we're willing to share. I, just this morning, I sent the legislation. We have really good legislation in the state of Texas. It was passed over the summer. It went into effect September the 1st. And in fact, in the state of uh, Texas, November the 2nd, they're voting to um, make an essential caregiver designation a right of all residents as a part of their state constitution, meaning the law can never be changed or taken away. The amendment would have to be done. It's going to pass in Texas. So we already have these laws that are well written, that have been accepted, that have sort of gone through the argument process. I just shared it with a leader in South Carolina this morning so that we've really sort of done some of the hard work and getting that wording done and making it a little bit easier to introduce these things in other places. 
So I'm more than happy to help um, anyone out there if they're interested. It takes somebody who's willing to invest. You know, you have to be the leader, we, which is what we've done in the States, is we have found people in those states that are very passionate about this, who understand the need to protect future generations from this very thing. So um, if there is someone out there, by all means, who wants to get involved in that, I am more than happy to share and, and, and give permission to, to make a Caregivers for Compromise uh, anywhere in the world. So that's, yeah, listeners, honestly, please do listen to that. Because if there is anyone out there who feels that they would be ready to, to take this on with so much of it already in place, please do get in touch via the Facebook group. So you are going to tell us what these Facebook, the names of these Facebook groups so that people can actually directly get in touch with you. Yes. The Caregivers for Compromise, because isolation kills too, is the main national group, 14,000 members there. Um, I can be reached, um, generally it's best on Instagram, um, Mary S. Daniel. I tell people there's no S on the end of Daniel, it's in the middle. So it's Mary S. Daniel. And you can message me there and we can reach out. Um, my email is mary at marysdaniel.com. So I'm open to anyone across the world to speak about this, to lead the way, to provide materials. Um, if you have the heart for this advocacy work, and many of our leaders have had family members who have passed away in long-term care. Many of our leaders have had family members that passed away alone in long-term care. They know the real pain. And I will tell you one of the ways that we spread our message is with our personal stories. Our politicians need to see the faces of what isolation has done. They need to see the pictures of us behind a window um, of many, many stories. In fact, we have done a national book of stories um, that we have. It's actually, we should, it's at the printer. We should get them tomorrow. We're mailing them to every single U.S. representative and senator. Hundreds of them will be on their desk in a matter of weeks so that they can see the faces and that hear the stories of what this isolation has done to people. And when they do that, it really, that's where the bipartisanship comes in. Many people have a grandmother or, you know, some family member who was in a facility, in a, in a long-term care facility, and the idea that they would be isolated and put behind glass and not allowed to touch many for well over a year um, really hits people in the heart where it should hit them. And that's what we're going for is our personal stories right in front of them so they can't deny it. Um, there is no reason. The only reason that we, they might go against what we're what we're asking for is lobbying from these large nursing home groups. And when they see the pictures of what this isolation has done, it takes away the power of those groups and the money of those groups because it hits them in the heart. And that's the most important part. We have to tell our stories and let them see exactly what has happened to our loved ones. Mary, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you and thank you so much for all of that. I mean, I just love what you're doing. It is just so huge and it's so wonderful and um, you are a special leader. So thank you. Thank you for being my guest on this podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, if you like this episode, 
please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. It really helps. See you next time.